Good morning. Baptism Sunday, huh? Yeah. Man, you guys are tired or something. Listen, Baptism Sunday is a celebration. It's a party. Did you know that the Bible says that when somebody turns their life over to Jesus, that literally the angels throw a party in heaven. So if they're throwing a party, I think we should throw a party and uh, be happy about it. All right. But uh, I want to talk about baptism today. I, I realize that not everybody uh, knows or believes uh, exactly the same thing about baptism. And so I want to lay out for you what we teach here, what we believe here, and uh, what we're celebrating today in baptism. All right, but I want you to think through uh, what baptism is. So being a parent is an amazing thing. If you don't have children, um, you know, I don't even know how to explain it to you other than like there are certain things that you do uh, just because you're a parent. Like just because you have kids, like you just fall into this long line of human beings who track certain things like milestones, right? Are there any moms in the house who have tracked the milestones of their children? Raise your hand loud and proud. Come on. Some of you are lying. All right. And uh, like we, we look at things like saying their first word. Like both of my children said dad, dad first. Is that true? She's rolling her eyes at me. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I can't remember. I'm sure she does, but that's what I'm declaring today, that uh, my kids said my name first. I don't know if that's true. But uh, there's some things that we distinctly remember. Like, I'll, I'll never forget, Maddox is our oldest biological son. We have a seven-year-old uh, that we adopted from Ethiopia, so we missed a few years with him. We adopted him when he was five. Uh, And he's had some incredible milestones with us. But one of the things I remember about Maddox, who's our five-year-old, he's our oldest biological son, um, was the first time that he ever did a belly laugh. Like, for the first time when he just, like, legitimately thought his dad was funny. And it was like, man, we finally arrived. Like, this is going to be a great process, son. And just, like, the joy of hearing the laughter you know, or taking their first step, you know, when, when they are cautiously moving from crawling to pulling up and then they crack their head a few times and they act like they're dying and you're like, you're really going to be fine. That's called character building. And you just, it's just amazing. And then when they take their first step, you know, like their feet are still too pudgy to actually do like real walking. So they're like, yeah, and then they die, you know. But I was thinking this week about baptism, and in Scripture what we see in believers' baptism is a baby taking their first step. Like, I can't think of a better example for us than to think through a baby taking their first step. We see things in Scripture where the, where the apostles tell us that when we get saved, we begin this diet of spiritual milk, and they they begin equating our spiritual life to that of a child, and of a child growing up all the way till uh, when Paul's at the end of his life, and he says, "I ran my race, I fought the fight." And we have these pictures, but none of our babies back here, there's, it's a growing number if you haven't noticed. So volunteer for RCC Kids, we need you. And a shameless plug right there, you're welcome. And uh, we, 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 none of us would send our child into battle. <laughs> 
None of us are sending our child in the mouth. But what do we do when, when our baby is born? What, what's the first thing we do? If you scroll on my phone to May 26th, 2012, is that how old my son is? And uh, you would see pictures of my newborn baby. If you scroll back to uh, a little over a year ago in the month of June, you will find pictures of my baby girl. If you f- scroll back a couple years ago to when we adopted Malachi and he became a coon for the first time, you will find pictures. What do we do when we have a child? We tell everybody, don't we? And so baptism is when somebody is reborn spiritually. The Bible says, get baptized. It is the natural first step. I think a lot of times uh, we look at things like baptism and, and we just take the command as a as law from God when really baptism is a picture of the gospel from God. Because what I want to do is I want to walk you through just briefly why even get baptized. Maybe you're sitting here today for the first time and uh, you just you you don't do church or you've never done church and I just want to walk you through why are why are three people going to get in this pool that looks too small for them and let two guys dip them backwards hold them under for a little extra sanctification that's not biblical by the way what I just said and pull them back up what is all that about because let's be real if if you've never done church before if you don't believe in Jesus this might seem a little weird. And I just want to walk you through why it's not weird, but it's an incredible celebration of who we are in Christ. And so I want to take you through three scriptures. If you have your notes, there were some notes available on your way in. If you want some, there's some in the back or over to the side. Uh, feel free to grab those. It's also on the YouVersion Bible app. You can go under events and find them there and follow along with us. But um, as the Bible compares us to uh, the life stages of a child, we, we get insight there. And uh, I, I want you to think through, why do we get baptized? Why do we get in the water? Because it's a statement. Uh, it's a statement that we are not the status quo. Do you know what the status quo is? It's just everybody doing what everybody else is doing. Baptism is an interruption of the status quo because what is even true of the church in America, and you can judge this for your own life, the Bible tells you to judge yourself, is that what happens is a lot of times the church in America, we come and we consume. We come and we expect only to be fed. And there's a part of church that is for your feeding. Don't make any mistake about it. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But when we gather, we gather and we feed and we fill so that we can go. And my my role here, my job description as a pastor is to train you for the work of the ministry. Not to go do all of the ministry. My job is to help you become better equipped to be ministers. Every member a minister is kind of the way you can think about that. And so what, what happens is as, as we do church and we live life, we kind of get things out of orientation, out of balance. And we forget that we're a Christian first and everything else second. I've had some amazing conversations with some of you about that and just what God's doing in your life. But we, we get baptized because we aren't everyone else. 
We get baptized because we're not just another person. While all of humanity shares in the fact that we were created in the image of God and therefore has value, and so we renounce things like racism, we renounce things like a senseless terrorism, we renounce things like what took place in Las Vegas. Because every human being is made in the image of God. And so we, we do, just because people are God's creation, there, there is intrinsic value there. But beyond that, the Bible is clear that God is redeeming for himself a people who are being built up as a spiritual house. That because Jesus went to the cross and died for your sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Historical fact was in the grave for three days, rose to life again. Fact. That you can be made right with God. Well, you might be asking, why do I need to be made right with God? Why do I need to be made right with God? Because here, here is the reality of the situation is that every human being in life is searching for something. We are all searching for something. We all have a need all of Christianity and all religions for that matter begin at this point that we have a need. That something in our life is missing and people turn in a million different directions to find it. Religion is born out of the realization that if I'm all that there is, We are woefully lacking. We are woefully lacking. In a, in a book called A Shattered Visage, uh, a Christian apologist named Ravi Zacharias writes this, The words of Augustine are most appropriate. You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Or as another guy put it, Blaise Pascal, he said, There's a God-shaped vacuum or a God-shaped hole in the heart of every man and only God can fill it. And so think about, think about the way that our, our culture goes through that. Atheists try to ignore it. Um, and I, I was just funny, I was watching a thing on, in, online of a response to that quote by Ravi Zacharias. And uh, it was a, um, an atheist who um, returned and cited some study that Prove that atheists are just as happy as Christians. And that just caused me to think about it. Uh, because I don't know if you, but like sometimes we, we get in church and we say stuff like, you know, I don't know how people out there do it without the Lord. You know, like if they go through tragedy or, you know, I just don't, I just don't know how people, how people are happy. I mean, because we get so much joy from Christ that we think that you can't actually find happiness in anything outside of Christ. But here, let me just clarify something for us that happiness and joy are really different. That you can, and you and I, even as Christians, we can chase pleasure and be happy. But if all we do is chase our pleasure, we will never find joy and lasting satisfaction. See, because uh, we, we can look at example after example after example. One of my favorite is Rockefeller. When somebody asked him, how much is enough money? So he looked at them and said, just a little bit more. Right? Because there, there's something inside of us that always needs more. Always. And we can look at our culture for a, a million different examples we don't have time for. But um, 
here's what I just want you to know that the Bible says that uh, in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has put eternity into man's heart. And so, so what I'm saying is every human being in some way, shape, or form feels that need. We all, the, the thing that levels the playing field in humanity is that we have a need. We have a hole in our life that we are searching and searching and trying and trying to fill. And what I want to present to you today is that the God of the Bible is the only one who can fill that void in your life. Because the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, that need is created by the fact that you aren't perfect. This is the part of the sermon every Easter where I offend people. Because we most of the time walk in here thinking that we're pretty good people and the Bible paints a different picture. Isaiah says in Isaiah 64 that that we have all turned and done our own thing. That nobody is seeking after God. That uh, on our own, we're not seeking the best for other people. We're not seeking the best uh, in God. And that because of that, we, we have this thing missing. And the New Testament tells us that it's because we are sinners and we've fallen short of God's standard. That's what sin is. sin is. Sin is an archery term. It's really simple. It just means missing the mark. So God said, here's the standard. He said, be perfect because I'm perfect. And hopefully you're sitting there uh, understanding, uh, I can't do that. I'm not perfect. I can't, I can't be perfect. And I would just say to you, that's the point. The law of God is there for you to hold up the mirror. The, the word of God is there for you to hold up and say, I don't meet the standard. I am not perfect. And I wouldn't have to follow you around for very long to figure that out. You wouldn't have to follow me around for very long to figure that out. We could probably just take a car ride with each other and realize that we aren't perfect. So what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that we need help. It means that we need help. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't put it any more clear than that. The Bible says that we're like sheep without a shepherd, constantly searching. You ever watch, like, just go, go YouTube sheep videos. It's pretty, okay, maybe you shouldn't. You got better things to do than that. But, but let, me, let me just fill you in. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are really dumb. And if you ever get to spend time with them in person, they're just really dumb. And there, but there are certain things that a shepherd will do that allow the sheep to move freely and within the confines of that shepherd's grace. And the Bible says that the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and they know him. And it's an amazing thing. And so I want, I want you to just think through a couple of scriptures with me here in John chapter 6. It's on your note sheet, or you can pull it up in your Bible. Uh, and, I, and I want to make some things clear about salvation. Here, here's what the Bible says in John chapter 6. It is the Spirit who gives life. 
The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Before I keep reading, uh, let me just explain that for a second. It says that it's the spirit who gives life. Uh, If you're wondering here today, like why this has never happened to you, why you've never considered these things before. I just want you to know that it's when you get in the environment where God is and God begins to speak through his word that he begins to draw you to himself. The Bible says that it's the beautiful feet that bring good news, the preaching of the word of God, the sharing of the word of God that brings people to salvation. And that our flesh is of no help at all. That's why you can search and search and search for happiness, search and search and search for joy and never find it. And some people will find a version of happiness, but they will always come to the end and find themselves empty, find themselves needing, wanting more. And it's because our flesh is of no help. He says in verse 64, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning for those, for those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? I want to make something else clear about salvation is that salvation will not make your life easy. In fact, salvation will make your life more difficult. The Bible says all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. In our country, you'll be looked at as an idiot. In our country, you'll be looked down upon uh, as less than intellectual. But here's what I want you to know today, that there's an answer in the Bible for every single question that people have. God is not afraid of your questions. God's not afraid of their questions. You do not have to check your Bible in at the door of science. Science is continually proving the Bible. The, the, The scientists are catching up to the Bible, not vice versa. And I don't have time to go through that, but I would love to, uh, for you to buy me coffee and explain to you science. <laughs> Is that how that works? <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to check your brain at the door to become a Christian. Amen. The things that our world has put in place to uh, assert things as true and factual, the Bible measures up. So I just I want to I want to move past that because the Bible has answers for that and I want to talk to your heart. I want to talk to your heart today. That if you have been searching, I just want you to know that there's an answer in Jesus. The Bible says in John three sixteen and seventeen that for God so loved the world that He sent His only Son to die for you. That whoever would believe on Him would not die but have eternal life. I'm not talking about physical, I'm talking about spiritual life. And then I love verse 17, it says that, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. See, some of you have been given the wrong picture of Jesus. You've been, you've been given the picture of condemnation Jesus, where He stands over you and beats you over the head with a gavel. But that's not what God did. God sent Jesus not to condemn you, but that the world through Him might be saved. You see, God is holy and there is a righteous standard. But when God, the thing that separates the God of the Bible from every other religion in the world is that when God looked down from heaven and saw you in your need, saw you in your sin, he did not ask you to rise to him, but instead sent his son for you. And Jesus lived a life for 33 years perfectly without sin 
and then died on the cross to be that perfect sacrificial lamb on your behalf so that you could come to him, so that the Spirit could give you life. And that life that you've been searching for can be found in Jesus, but only in Jesus. Let me also say that Jesus is not one path among many to the same heaven, to the same God. Jesus said himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So I want to be clear about that. You see, because atheism seeks to ignore things that are obvious realities. Gnosticism shrugs its shoulders at it and says we can't know. Religion tries to satisfy it, says we should at least try. See if the scales balance out in the end, but only the God of the Bible can fill the standard. An amazing story came out of Las Vegas this week. I don't know if you saw it, but on CNN they were doing a live interview with a guy who was a self-proclaimed atheist. And so he's there doing this interview on CNN. I don't know. if Maybe somebody got it on YouTube. You can go watch it later. But they pulled it off as fast as they possibly could. But uh, some of us were watching and encouraged by it. This guy, self-proclaimed atheist, having this conversation with uh, CNN live television. Because, you know, that's what breaking news is. they gotta, they got to get somebody that was there. And... This guy says, man, let me just tell you that when I walked into that concert, I was an atheist. I did not believe in God. But when I walked out of that concert, I walked out a Christian because I believe that God was in that moment protecting me and he saved me for a reason and I'm going to live for him. And then boom, video was gone. (laughs) They pulled that thing off. It was amazing. They've probably obliterated YouTube now so that nobody can find it. But it just was that... That glimpse that the light shines in the darkness. That God is still moving. That God is still in control. That God is still drawing people to himself. And that the God of the Bible is always at move. We, We sing songs about how he's moving and how he's active. And I want you to know that when three people get in the waters of baptism today, it's a miracle because God reaches out and rescues people. See, one of the things that we ask questions about, like, what if nobody's ever heard? Well, nobody's seeking. So anybody that God saves, it's, it's out of the sovereign grace of his hand. And so, baptism then is for those who have bowed their knee to Jesus. The Bible says if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he is who he says he is, that we will be saved. So we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart, and we'll be saved. What are we confessing? The gospel, the good news, that Jesus came to this earth, lived and died for you to pay the penalty for your sin. Because see, one of the things that the Bible says is that the penalty, the wages, the payment for your sin is death because God's holy. And his righteousness has to be satisfied. That uh, when you are wronged, you expect to be paid justice for that. And God, because of his holiness, has to be paid justice for his character. He cannot contradict himself. So the Bible says God is love, but God is also just and holy. And so because of your sin, you deserve to spend eternity in hell. Hell's a real place, it's not a curse word. And so we confess the reality that we're a sinner. 
But the beauty of the gospel is that in your sin, Ephesians tells us that it was while we were dead in our sin, spiritually dead, that Christ died for us. And that through His grace, by faith, we can be made right with God. And the way that we be made right with God is to confess Jesus as Lord. My, my seven-year-old is getting baptized today. And uh, when, when I was having the conversation with him about uh, Jesus, one of the things that is important is that you be able to verbalize the commitment that you've made, that the, that the Holy Spirit has come in and regenerated your heart. And so for kids, that's, a, that's obviously a different conversation than an adult. But uh, when I asked him, I was like, what, what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord of your life? Like you, when, you, when you confessed that on your own to the Lord, what did that mean? And he got a big smile on his face, which is telling. He got a big smile on his face. And if you know Malachi, you know that that's not surprising. He got a big smile on his face and he said, that Jesus is the boss. <laughs> that's it. But the joy in Jesus being the boss, why, why is it joyful to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Why is that a joy? Because His intentions are always good. Because His love never fails. And that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, the Bible says, that is in Jesus Christ. There's joy in submitting to the Lord. And so if you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that today. But as we consider baptism and what's about to take place, I want to just read two scriptures. Uh, really, yeah, two scriptures. Let's start with uh, Acts chapter 16. This is not going to be on the screen. I just want to, I just want to show it to you. Sorry, Acts chapter 10. I got to 16. I was like, that doesn't look right. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. So Peter had just preached the good news, basically what I just shared with you, that Christ died on the cross, and that he was rose again on the third day. Uh, for, and then verse 44, look at what it says. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that if you have trusted in Jesus, the command is for you to be baptized. The command is for you to be baptized. That when you surrender your life, when the Holy Spirit falls on you and comes into your life, that you be baptized. And, uh, but, but I want you to know why. So go to Romans chapter 6 and then we're going to do this thing. But I, but I want you to just be really clear on why we're doing it here and the way we're doing it. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know 
that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Maybe you've seen a hundred baptisms in your life and wondered, why do they always say, raised to walk in newness of life? This is why. Verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that this body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So let me just say it to you this way. Baptism is the outward sign of an inward reality. Baptism does not save you. It's just water. It's a picture. It's a symbol of what God is doing on the inside of you. It's your statement to the church. It's your statement to the world that you are a follower of Christ. It's the invitation to the church for accountability. It's the uh, statement that you have uh, been made new. And so that's what we celebrate today. What we're celebrating is three people who have surrendered, confessed Jesus as Lord of their life. When they get into the water in just a second, I'm going to ask them, have, are you trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And assuming that they answer yes, we'll baptize them. And so the picture of baptism then is that when they get in the water and they answer that question yes, as we dip them back, what that signals is Jesus dying and being buried. And we spiritually being buried with him. And then when we bring that person out of the water, it's the picture that Christ was not held by death and we are not held by death, but that we have been brought to newness of life. And so what we're celebrating is our identity in Christ. That we have been, our sin, according to Romans 6, been put to death and brought to nothing. And we've been raised to walk in newness of life. And so it's a celebration. And it's an amazing thing. But, but here's what I want to do. I, I want to give you an opportunity to confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Nothing could be a greater decision. Nothing could be a more celebratory thing than to do that in the presence of the people of God. So here's what I want to do. I want you to stand. Everybody stand. And uh, I'm going to pray. And uh, maybe you can go tell the kids we're ready. We'll have all the kiddos come out. If you checked your kids into RCC Kids today and you want to uh, keep them with you to celebrate this, that is more than welcome. And uh, let them do that with you. But um, here's the reality. If you don't know Christ today, if you've never bowed your knee, if you've never confessed Him as Lord, uh, I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. And uh, it's really simple. There's nothing magic about it. It's a simple confession. Uh, confessing that you're a sinner and that you're trusting Jesus as Lord of your life. You can do that in the quietness of your own heart. And uh, if you're really daring, we would also love to baptize you. You We'll send you home a little wet. But uh, nothing would bring us greater joy than you confessing the Lord today and getting baptized uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me pray for us.
Father, you are so good. Every person in this room who knows you as Lord understands that apart from you, we can do nothing. That we have an incredible need in our heart. That found within ourselves is not the answer to our deepest longings, to our deepest desires. We may find momentary happiness, but we certainly haven't filled that long satisfaction. Satisfaction. So Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment as we baptize people who are confessing Jesus as Lord, that you would be moving among us. And that if there's anyone here today that you're drawing to them to yourself, that you would uh, draw them down, that you would add people to the number of the church today, to the glory of Jesus. We pray that you would do that, Father. We believe that you can do that right now. If you're in the room right now and you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, I would just invite you to pray with me in your heart, not out loud. Something like this that would say, Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I'm searching, and that I have a need. And that today I see that you are what I've been searching for. That I, in my sins of dead, that I need a Savior. That I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. And desire the life that you have for me. So I confess you as Lord of my life. And ask the Holy Spirit to come in and dwell my life. If you prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. We would love for you to grab somebody in the room. One of the pastors and let us know. And then uh, if you would like to get baptized today, we would more than welcome that. We'd also be happy to baptize you any Sunday, any day of the week, really. And uh, if you would do us the favor of letting us know that, that would be awesome. But uh, if you're in the room right now, you can look up at me. We're going to let these guys keep playing and uh, we're going to baptize some folks. We're so excited that you're here today. Uh, Can I have Earl, Kayla, and Malachi come on up here? And then, Jake, if you'll grab your mic so they answer. Let's go.
let each one of these folks get in here. We're going to ask them the question. And uh, then we're going to baptize them. And then it's your job to echo the angels in heaven and celebrate the decision that each of these three have made. Now, don't disappoint me, all right? I know what, I know how some of you acted yesterday when your football team won. And I know some of you, like me, cried when your team lost. All right? So, that doesn't even pale in comparison to the decisions that have been made to follow Jesus. And so, uh, I want you to go nuts on their behalf each time. And so, Earl, man, it's been a journey for you to get in this water, hasn't it? We're so excited. If you'll uh, sit down right here at the front. And uh, Earl, are you, let's have the mic here. Earl, are you trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in
question and then you answer in the microphone to Mr. Jake, okay? Malachi, are you trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Amen. Then I baptize you, my brother and my son, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk.
Jesus. Jesus.